Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We're going to focus in on Proverbs 16, 18. It says this, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Will you just smile at me this morning? And will you help preach me on this morning? Not for me, but for you. Because when we open up our mouth and we say amen, we're saying, I received that. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to get a little bit up in our business today so that we can receive. Now, if you're taking notes today, the title of this message is A Reflection. A Reflection. Hey, let's pray today before we get any further. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that if we are faithful to apply it to our life, that we can actually change our perspective on things and grow closer to you. I thank you that we can pray like it says in the book of James, that if we lack wisdom, you'll give it to us. So we ask for your wisdom today. Would you open up our hearts? We just choose to focus in on what you want to say. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, years back before I moved to San Francisco, I was part of a church where every single year we would put on a women's conference. And with this women's conference, we would invite people from our city, from our church, from other churches in the area, from other states, and we would gather a couple thousand women to come together to worship God and to seek him, to not just listen to a sermon, but to grow in God. And this was incredible every single year. And every year I would help in some sort of capacity with this conference. But the last year before I left, they asked me if I would help host the conference by emceeing it. So, you know, I'm the person that, like Tim said this morning, the air traffic controller, like the exits are this way, show up at nine, the coffee's here. It was a great role. And I was honored to do it, but I was really excited because I didn't just get asked, me and my very good friend got asked to do it. Now, what you need to know about my friend is she is very, very funny. She is one of my favorite humans, but I also just love being around her because she makes me laugh all the time. She's one of those people that finds humor in the most common and ordinary things, which is my favorite kind of comedy. Now, I wasn't just excited to host with her because she was my friend, but honestly, it kind of meant I had an easy job. Like, she could be the entertainment, and I'm like, dance for the people, entertain them, keep them interested in what's going on. And I could just be the informational sidekick, so my job wasn't that hard. So we started hosting this event, you know, we'd transition a service, invite a guest up, but more than just doing these, you know, spiritual, really important sessions, we also wanted to have fun with all these ladies. So one afternoon we did, we, we played a game, it's called Purse Scavenger Hunt. Has anybody ever played that? Okay, let me explain it to you if you don't know what it is. We group these women up and we would call out a list of items that they had to come up with. And it had to be in their purse, in their pocket, somewhere on their person. You know, it was bobby pin, a notebook, and we'd be calling out these items. Now, because it was a women's conference, what was fun about it is we called out some items that only women carry. And you guys, you know what? When you get a group of over a thousand women in a room, things can get really inappropriate really fast. <laughs> but it's fine because it was all women except for the one sad poor sound guy who was like plugging his ears. <laughs> so we were having a great time, but when we invited these women up, you know, I'm pulling out these items like, and we're laughing about it, but then all of a sudden something interesting happened. I became funny. 
I started cracking jokes. You know when you tell a like you say something and you didn't realize it was funny, but then people laugh and you're like, oh my gosh, I just accidentally told a joke. I was so good. But then jokes were flying out of my mouth, left and right. And it wasn't just my friend who was entertaining, but I was bringing the fun. And it was a fantastic moment because it wasn't just like, you know, a little bit of a gut laugh. It was like people were leaned over in their seats crying. We were all laughing so hard. So, of course, it was time to move on to things a little bit more important and spiritual. So we exited the stage. But something happened as I began to walk back to my seat. Now, let me say really quick, confidence is good. It's good to be confident in who you are and your ability. That's not a bad thing. But there is this sweet little fine line between confidence and pride. <laughs> Something happened as I walked back to my seat where I stepped over the line. I started walking a little bit taller, had a little smirk on my face. And I sat down in my seat, and I didn't have time to kind of sort out this internal circumstance that I found myself in of pride. And pretty soon, it was time for me to get back up and go host again and transition the service. So I walked up a little taller to the stage, and, you know, I was ready. I was ready to maybe make the people laugh again as I entered my spotlight. But as I climbed the five steps up to the platform, something happened. I tripped on the last step and I went flying and I flung myself, landed flat on my face on the stage in front of 2,000 women. And I probably made them laugh in a different way. <laughs> I learned that day that pride truly does come before the fall. It's true. But long before I tripped and fell on my face because of pride. Somebody else fell because of pride. In fact, this is where pride finds its origin. Now this morning, this is the moment in the sermon where I get to introduce you to a biblical character that's going to help articulate the point of the scripture that we're looking at. And preachers do this all the time. We do this here all the time. Uh, you know, many of our favorite people to talk about, the biblical characters, would be like King David, who was a man after God's own heart, or Peter, who was so passionate for Christ, or Paul, who was so uh, zealous for God, and he, he had such a mission to bring the good news to different areas. We love talking about them. But today's biblical character is a little bit different, because it is the one whose pride caused him to fall like lightning. It is Lucifer, Satan, the enemy himself. Aren't you guys so glad I gave Tim a break from preaching so I could come up here and encourage you? You are so welcome. Now, this, the Bible speaks of the fall of Satan in a few different places. It speaks of it in Isaiah. In fact, Jesus quotes in Luke 10 about Isaiah and about the fall of Lucifer. But I think the greatest place that we can see the depiction of the fall of Lucifer is found in Ezekiel. Who's ready to read some Old Testament this morning? All right. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ezekiel 28, but I'll put it up on the screen. I will. They will. Great job, guys. It says this. You are a model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. See, this text and the whole picture and understanding of the fall of Lucifer is a massive theological conversation. And I won't bore you with all the details of that, but what I will tell you is that many theologians believe that before Lucifer fell, and Lucifer, whose name means morning star, before he fell, he held a high-ranking position in the angelic hosts. Uh, God had created and appointed him as a guardian cherub, which is depicted in scripture as a majestic angelic creature who surrounded God's throne. It was Lucifer's job to cover and protect, but it was also his job to bring honor and glory to God. And we read in in Ezekiel that it was his beauty that caused him to be filled with pride. And actually, if you were to read on in Ezekiel, you would find out more about his beauty. It says that he was this magnificent angelic being and that there were these stones, these precious gemstones that were in his makeup. Whether it was a breastplate or just a part of him, like think about how beautiful that must have looked. In fact, some believe that Lucifer even had musical instruments built into his makeup and that he used them to bring honor and glory to God. Now, regardless of the details of his beauty, the fact remains that when pride entered his heart, that no longer did Lucifer bring honor and glory to God, but he took the glory for himself. And so God cast him out of his presence. As a result of Lucifer's pride, he fell. And this represents the actual beginning of sin in the universe. This precedes the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. When Lucifer chose pride, he, cho he was choosing to rebel against his creator. And Lucifer went from being morning star and angelic being to the adversary, Satan, as we know him. Now, as I said, he's our biblical character today. I'm so sorry, but he is. And the goal is to look at, yes, the fallen angel Lucifer and ask ourselves, does my life relate to his? And I know this seems kind of crazy, to ask for me to ask you, I want you to compare yourself to Satan this morning. Aren't you so glad you showed up to the 11 o'clock? But I think that the truth is that we need to consider that today that, and you, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We are never more like Satan than when we are full of pride. We are never more like Satan, the adversary. We mimic him when we're full of pride. But before we can even consider that question, we must first accurately define what being proud means. Now, 
I, as we dive into this, I want to be abundantly clear when I talk about this, that I'm not talking about when you have that feeling of a job well done, when you accomplish something. I'm also not talking about when you look at something that your kids do or someone you love and you say to them, oh, I'm so proud of you. But this is a different type of pride. Unfortunately, the English language uses the same word. But these two words, these two types of pride are vastly different. The pride described in the Bible is a huge deal. Proverbs 16, 18 may be short, but it has huge implications. I want to read a quote from C.S. Lewis. This is what he says in Mere Christianity. describing He describes pride as the greatest sin. He says, according to the Christian teachers, the essential vice and the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And the author of Proverbs, Solomon, knew this, so he wanted to share with the reader. But he knew that Pride wasn't just the greatest sin, but he also knew that pride is the opposite of wisdom. In fact, Proverbs 16, 18 is smack dab in the middle of the book of Proverbs. It is the central verse, and many would call it the heart verse of Proverbs. Do you know if pride is in the way that God can't get to your heart? So today, Solomon wants to remind us, he wants to say, look at the heart of the proverb. Because in order for you to be wise, you need to be able to receive. And you can't receive if there's a barrier in the way. So today, we're going to take a deeper look at the heart of the proverbs. You can put that, that 16, 18 back on the screen. It says this, pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before the fall. See, there's two parts to this proverb. And what we're seeing here is the author is using something called synonym parallelism, where he's taking two things that mean the same thing and he's repeating it. He's saying, hey, I want you to pay attention. He's repeating himself twice. So pride equals destruction, haughtiness equals falling. And these two words mean the same thing, both Pride and haughtiness mean arrogance. See, arrogance is anything that we do to elevate ourselves, to inflate ourselves, to brag about our accomplishments. This is the me monster in the room. I have the best stories. I have the greatest accomplishments. I know everything. You ever talk to somebody and you're like in a conversation sharing about stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I just learned this really great fact and you begin explaining it. And you're, you're expecting them to say, wow, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that with me. But instead they respond with, I know. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> See, pride is also unteachable. Pride is the know-it-all. And I know we're all probably picturing somebody right now. But hang on, hang on. Let's make sure we receive the word for ourselves before we send a sermon to someone else. The pride also makes people feel less important. When I walk in the room, I am superior. You all are all below me. Sorry, that's just the way it is. 
Now, pride is also interesting in that it can be a mindset. See, sometimes pride is not the most boisterous or loud person in the room. It's the quietest one who's not opening up their mouth. But internally, they're opposing everything that's going on around them because we're filled with pride. Another version of pride is an obsession of other people's opinions of us. Let's just be real. We have a great example of this in the modern day. It's called social media. <laughs> Look at me. Look at how skinny I am. Look at how beautiful I am. Those are my lip injections, by the way. <sighs> Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at as I repost what people post about me so I can show you how many followers I have. You know, some people don't utilize that reposting option as a thank you. Some do it because they want to show you what people are saying about them. Because there's pride in their heart. I think there's so many examples. There's men, many that I'm not even going to necessarily name today. These are just a few. But pride also says that I'm at the center of the universe. I'm self-focused. And I think this type of pride is so dangerous because what it's saying is, is I don't need God. Psalms 10.4 says the wicked are so obsessed with themselves that they can't even think about God. There's no room for him. Tim mentioned last week that the most prideful person is the prayerless person, which is so true. The person who doesn't pray or read the word, what they're saying is, I don't need God's involvement. I've got this. Now let me ask you, do you consult God about important decisions in your life? That relationship, that job, that move? Or are you so self-sufficient that you don't even have to consult him for his direction or his wisdom? Hey, pride says, I've got this. And I think one of the most damning things about pride is when we say, look at me, look at my accomplishments, look at my beauty. What we don't realize we're doing is we are walking in the footsteps of Lucifer by saying, I'll take the glory even though God's the one who deserves it. Now, you might be here today and you're like, yeah, this message is for someone else. I will send it to them. But I haven't received because I do not relate to any of these examples and I most certainly do not relate to Lucifer. But you guys, I don't want to leave you out. I want you to be able to receive today too. Because I think that there's another version of pride that a lot of, my, a lot of people identify with but we wouldn't define as pride. And that's insecurity. Insecurity. Insecurity cloaks itself in a facade of humility. But when you remove it, what you realize it is, is just a distorted version of pride. How? Well, insecurity is not thinking too highly of yourself. Instead, it's thinking too low of yourself. With, I have news for you. It still means you're self-focused. Insecurity is interesting in that it's this idea that people are more focused on you than they really are. Well, I can't step out and do that. I, I can't speak in that circle or that, that classroom publicly because everyone's looking at me. <laughs> insecurity says I'm self-focused. The other part of insecurity is 
when we think about our relationship with God and we begin to ask God, why did you create me like this? Romans 9.20 says, should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why did you create me like this? See, it is so prideful to go to God and say, you shouldn't have made me this way. I know better. Should have made me like this instead. Insecurity is just a facade of pride. And listen, I've found myself in both of these categories of pride. I've found myself taking credit for some of the great things that I've done and taking the glory for myself. I've thought too highly of myself at times. And then there's times that I have operated in, in insecurity. Do you know that insecurity at times has kept me from standing on this platform with a microphone in my hand to preach the good news about Christ? Which is absurd. Why? Because it's not about me. I am not the center of the universe. He is. In fact, he's the one who created the universe. See, whether it is thinking too highly of yourself or too low of yourself, whether you have found yourself in both of those categories, the reality is, and Solomon tells us, that if we find ourselves there, then something is inevitable. We are going to fall. See, fall, falling always happens after pride. It always proceeds after pride. It's inevitable. And if you're wondering today, what does pride look like or what does falling actually look like? Now, we don't have to look any further, but our biblical character we're focused on. What did falling look like for Lucifer? See, he used to stand in the heavenly courts. He used to be surrounding God's throne. But when he was filled with pride, God cast him out of his presence. He was prevented from accessing the nearness of God. His fall can as easily be defined as distance. Because pride creates distance. See, when we have pride in our lives, we are prevented from accessing the nearness of God, the presence of God. And I know that might sound extreme, but it's what the Bible shows us. See, I, right here in the book of James, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. See, pride stands in opposition to God. It stands like a stiff arm or a wall or a barrier between us and God. And today you might say, I don't really feel the presence of God. I don't really feel like I can enter into the presence of God. I don't feel close to him. And I would suggest to you today that you might need to check your pride might need to ask yourself, am I constantly devaluing what God created with insecurity? Or am I trying to take all the glory and thinking too highly of myself? Because both of these are repellents to the presence of God. And I have news for you today. We need, so desperately need the presence of God. So what do we do about this? 
You know, Robin, you often preach about prayer. You talk about it, always telling our team to pray more. Is there a prayer for humility that I can pray? Jesus, I pray that you would give me humility. Amen. Unfortunately, there's no prayer for humility. (laughs) It's not the route we take. But instead, the Bible teaches us what we need to do. Scripture shows us that we need to humble ourselves. You need to humble yourself. Jesus' brother goes on to say this. He says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So instead of a prayer for God to do something, this is our responsibility. Now, this word humility here, it's a verb. It's an action. It's something that we have to do. And we've said all throughout this entire series that wisdom is not knowledge alone, but it's applied knowledge. So it's not enough for you to know that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, but you actually have to do something. So, I believe the thing that we need to do is humble ourselves. Now, let me tell you real quick. The greater choice is to humble yourself. Because pride will have its fall and you will be humbled, but you get to choose, am I going to humble myself or is God going to have to humble me? I don't have time to preach about what that looks like. But if you need a little Bible reading help this week, just go to 2 Kings and read about Nebuchadnezzar. It's not pretty. So what does it look like to humble ourselves? Okay, I'll be honest. Sat down and was writing the sermon, studying, and my house was really quiet this week because my kids are back in school. I love you, Livy. So sat down and I was writing, and all of a sudden it was too quiet. And I was like, how do we humble ourselves? <laughs> what does that look like? And listen, this is the most important part of a message because otherwise you just came here for me to give you some information. But the most important part of a sermon is how we apply it, how I invite you to apply this message to your life. Why? Because the preaching of the word of God should change us. It should cause us to take action. So. I started to think about different opportunities of humility. I thought about uh, a moment of humility from a friend of mine, John Fernandez. He's not here at this service, so I'm allowed to talk about him because he's not, no, just kidding. I asked his permission. Well, myself and Tim and he and his wife just went on a vacation together in July. And when we were flying back from our trip, we were on our second to last leg of our flight. And we looked down at our tickets, and what we realized was all of us, me, Tim, and Priscilla, were all in the front of the plane. But John was given a seat 30 rows back. Now, the funniest part of this is John worked so hard on our itinerary and all of our flights, and yet all of us got the great seats, and he was 30 rows back. It was obviously a mistake by the airline, but not one we could fix. So because we're really good friends, we began to joke with John, and we said, this is just an opportunity for you to humble yourself, John. (laughs) And then Tim and I started singing a song that we sang in the 90s at church, and it goes a little something like this. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And the ladies join, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Who knows it? Keep going. 
Come on, keep it going. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> oh, we all had a good laugh, and then John was like, oh my gosh, that song. So he downloaded it on his phone, because he hadn't heard it in a while. And then we made our way onto the plane. So John gets to his seat, and he sits down like, okay, this will be fine, you know, whatever, I'll deal with it. And a man approaches him and says, hey, um, would you mind switching seats with me? My wife is sitting by you, and we got split up. And John did not respond with, yeah, me too, bro. <laughs> I was supposed to be in the front of the plane with my wife. But because John already had his headphones on and was already listening to Humble Thyself, he said, yeah, sure, no problem. So John gets up and switches seats with the guy. But guess where the guy's seat was? Last row of the plane, by the bathrooms, middle seat. I'd say that's the worst seat on an airplane. So John makes his way back there, and he sits down nestled between two strangers with his headphones in. And the most hilarious part is John had no other music downloaded on his phone, so he just listened to that on repeat through the rest of the flight. See, this was a great opportunity for humility. Hey, a way that we can humble ourselves is by serving others. It's a great way that we can say, okay, I'm, I'll put someone first. Uh, in fact, I preached a message not that long ago about the greatest example of humility through service by Jesus when he washed his disciples' feet. So I thought of this, I thought of service, I also thought of fasting. Man, there's nothing like fasting. I'm not just saying like fasting breakfast, which is good if you're going to fast, like start small, but when you fast for a long amount of time, you very quickly are humbled, reminding yourself of how human and incapable you are. They both fasting and service are good examples of humility. But as I sat in my quiet dining room, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, there's a greater way you can humble yourself. So I want to dive into this last point as I invite the band to come. So I think that the greatest way we can humble ourselves, the answer to it is found in the text we read in Ezekiel about Lucifer. See, before pride was found in Lucifer, as an angel, he had many tasks. But the greatest way or the greatest task that Lucifer had was to glorify God, to recognize the might and the power of the Almighty God. It was his greatest position in the heavenly hosts. First Chronicles 29, 11 says this. This is what the angels did and do. It says, greatness, power, glory, victory, honor belong to you, God. Because everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to you, Lord. Now, although you and I are not angels, we too were made to glorify God. This is our chief aim. This is our purpose to bring glory to the God of the universe who created everything. So I think that the greatest way we can humble ourselves is to glorify him. Now, back to the title of our message, a reflection, a reflection. I brought this. 
is a little dirty. I had to clean it. And there's a lot of flyaways happening, but we'll, we'll deal with that later. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord. Do you know that it's easy to glorify God when you understand that you're simply a reflection of Him? Just a reflection. Lucifer in all his beauty, a reflection. All his splendor and his majesty, all of his wisdom, a reflection. Every good thing in me, a reflection. So what I've found and what the Holy Spirit reminded me of as I sat in my dining room with pen to paper, is that the greatest way to humble myself, the greatest way to kill pride and dissolve insecurity in me was to remind myself I am simply a reflection. Every good thing in me, every gift, every talent, every accomplishment is simply a reflection of the one who created me. reminds us that we were created in his image therefore every single thing that we could brag about is all him it also means that when I get ready in the morning and I look in this mirror and I begin to criticize what I look like or who I am and I begin to diminish what God created no, 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 Robin. You are a reflection. What he made is good because he is good. The greatest way we can humble ourselves is to remind ourselves that we are a reflection. And then we take that and we bring him honor and glory. If you're new to the Father's house, you may wonder why we spend so long sometimes in worship, why we linger as Tim preached not that long ago. It's because we are reminding ourselves that we are just a reflection, that I don't deserve the glory, I don't have the glory. He's the one who deserves all the glory. In fact, the Holy Spirit kept bringing this song up that we sang this morning to me all through this week. He is worthy of it all. I wasn't listening to it. I didn't even know it was on our set list. I just kept finding myself worshiping him, finding myself when I was like, oh gosh, I gotta write a message. I gotta come up with something. I gotta stand on a stage. He is worthy of it all. When I had a thought that I oh no, no, no. He is worthy of it all. He's the one, the only one that deserves the glory. See, the greatest way we can humble ourselves is having a revelation that we are merely a reflection. And as we bring glory to our heavenly Father, we look the least like Lucifer. Amen.
Come on, we pray with me today. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you created us in your image. You call us sons and daughters. First, we just, especially those in the room who've stayed in that space of insecurity of not even liking what they, they reflect in the mirror or who they are, their abilities or what they'd call inabilities. Right now, we just remind ourselves that what you made is good. If we're made in your image, then it's good. We don't diminish it. Right now we lay that down and we humble ourselves before you. Thank you for making us a reflection. Thank you as we humble ourselves today. I thank you for the promise of the word that you will lift us up as we magnify your name. Even just pray this week as you spend time maybe on your own worshiping him and bringing him honor and glory. You would set your gaze upon him in a greater way. And I guarantee you that in that moment, he will lift you up. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who we are in you, that we're made in your image. And we give you all the glory today, the glory that you and you alone deserve. And I wanna pray for another group of people in the room today. If you're here and you say, listen, I can't glorify God yet because I don't know him. I can't bring him honor and glory because I don't, I don't really know who he is. If that's you, maybe you've been walking this life out on your own without the help of a savior. I have news for you today. The greatest way that you will ever humble yourself before God is to admit that you need him, that you can't save yourself, that you don't need to walk this life anymore, but he wants to come alongside you. So maybe you're here and God's been after you for a while and you've kind of just been going through the motions or you just haven't stepped over that line. Today, I wanna give you an invitation to pray a prayer of commitment and to give your life fully over to him. If that's you today, I wanna invite you to pray a prayer. And as a, as a church, we've been doing this where we wanna pray this out loud with you because we don't want you to make this decision alone. But before we pray this prayer of commitment, if that's you today, you need to give your life fully over to God and you're ready to make that commitment. Will you simply just look up at me or lift your hand and identify yourself? We're gonna pray this out with you. Say, Jesus, and church, let's pray this out with them. Let's do it again, you ready? All together. Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I believe you died to forgive me of my sins and you rose again to give me new life. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways until I see you in heaven face to face. Amen, amen. Can we give it up for those making that decision today? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, 
we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.